good, super friends. It's your deal, Pepe, representing the West Side, Sundan Park, 575. Here to tell you about our Patreon. Let's go, cruising down the I-10, podcast be thumping, TAC on the mic, the homeboys be nothing, knowledge bombs be dropping like with Steven Hawking, and the laughs keep coming like with Jimmy Fallon, but you wanna be a homie, VIP, MVP, take the first toke, but it's only $2 so you don't choke, episodes be at free, a week early, gluten free, and of course, no MSGs, hook you up each show with the weekly shout out, send you stickers to Flex in the Walmart checkout. Patreon.com slash Technically a Conversation Cheaper than cigarettes at the gasoline station Patreon.com slash Technically a Conversation Link in the show notes Thank you for your donation John Fritz Johnson was living on top of the world He was a successful radio personality Television sports director Was married to a beautiful model And was a champion archer He was one of the best known And most liked personalities in Omaha, Nebraska While promoting some archery gear, he was approached by someone claiming to be his niece and his two brothers, but had no memory of them at all. Today, we'll discuss the life of Lawrence Joseph Bader and some theories on what might have caused him to lose his memories, the fallout that resulted when Bader came back from the dead seven years after his assumed death, and whether he suffered from amnesia or was running an elaborate hoax on this episode of Technically a Conversation. You're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Isela. How are you doing today? What up? I I went a little ghetto today. I was like, what up? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Lovely. A little tease here. We recorded a video for our patrons on New Year's Eve where we talk about some of the music that we've been enjoying in 2023. And it occurred to me, Sela, that Taylor Swift wasn't on your list. I'm sure that was just a mistake, right? <laughs> I thought it would be a good idea to do a whole episode on her one day. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe. That was not part of it. <laughs> no, I, that was just not one of the things I was... Uh, I mean, I, obviously I had to like listen to her stuff, so... I could know what was going to be going on at the concert. But yeah, I mean, I really like her music, but it wasn't anything that I felt I needed to highlight. You know, there's already, she's already like broken all these records. I don't think I'm going to be highlighting anybody that uh, people haven't, you know, heard of. Yeah, but it, it still surprised me. And maybe doing an episode about her wouldn't be a bad idea because all these crazy things keep on coming up. Did you hear about the new conspiracy theory regarding her? I don't really subscribe to conspiracy theories, so you can just be my ear to that. Okay, I don't subscribe to conspiracy theories either. (laughs) And yet you're going to tell me one. (laughs) But I always hear them. That doesn't mean that I think that they're true. Sure. But they were talking about it on a podcast today that former FBI agent Stuart Kaplan believes that Taylor Swift is a covert asset for the government because she posted a link on vote.org Hundreds of thousands of young Tay-Tay fans all of a sudden registered to vote. Of course, this would make her a liberal because conservatives want to suppress voters 
not encourage them. And also apparently Tay-Tay tweeted in 2020 that Trump should be voted out because he was stroking the fires of white supremacy. All of that is true. I would agree that I don't think his hateful rhetoric is like anywhere near good for America. And it's also true that she's working for the government, right? (laughs) (laughs) I just think she happens to really want people to vote, which I think is wonderful. There was somebody else who did that too recently. Um, Shit, do you remember who else that was? I think it was even Ariana Grande, actually. And she got a ton of people to, to vote. It was during her last tour. No, I haven't heard anything about Ariana Grande in such a long time. Well, tomorrow, well, the 12th of January, her new stuff drops. How did I not know that? I am here for you for that. Not conspiracy (laughs) theories, but I am your tether to the AG world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can't believe I want to say it again, but I do kind of applaud Taylor Swift for encouraging all her little fans to go out and vote. I think that's great. It's definitely wonderful. Yeah, we definitely need younger, smarter people voting. (laughs) Definitely. And I'm still not a huge fan of her music, although I do like Party in the USA and Call Me Maybe, but I kind of fuck with Taylor Swift now. You have liked a few of the songs I have let you listen to, so let's not pretend like you don't like her songs. Call Me Maybe is, I don't know if I like that one more than Party in the USA, but I like that song a lot. You already know that's not it. I've shown you some. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Enough fucking around, Isela. Ready to get started? Of course. Great. Let's get started. So I had a totally different episode planned for today, but unfortunately I had to scrap it because I just couldn't find enough information. Hmm. Luckily, our super cool, super patron, Eric, sent me a suggestion, and it's a really cool story. So that's what we're going to cover today. I'm ready. Exciting. Rather than ask you the usual awkward and embarrassing questions I asked to set up a story, I'm going to forego that so that I don't spoil this because it's a really good story. Okay. So this takes place in the late 1950s and early 1960s, just for context. The following is from a Dispatch article by David Smothers with a name like Smothers (laughs) and a Life Magazine article by Chris Wells. Links in the show notes. John Fritz Johnson was a man who had it all. He was described as well-dressed, fascinating, and great at charming the ladies. He drove around in a hearst, equipped with a coffee bar, pillows, and incense burner. But he wasn't just a ladies' man, he was also a man's man, and was a successful radio station announcer, television sports director, and one of the best-known, best-liked, and most flamboyant personalities in Omaha, Nebraska. He first came to the public eye by perching on a flagpole for a month and later winning a Nebraska State Archery Championship. Lawrence Joseph Bader, on the other hand, couldn't be more different than Fritz Johnson. He was a married family man with three kids and one on the way. He made his living selling kitchen appliances and spending his free time fishing. Like Fritz, Larry also enjoyed archery. However, when their paths cross, they'll have a lot more in common than being proficient with a bow and arrow, and both their lives will fall apart. Before we continue, are you familiar with the story of Fritz Johnson and Larry Bader? No, not at all. Excellent. This is such a great story. So in the first half of the episode, we'll focus on Fritz Johnson, since on the surface, he's the most interesting of the two men. The second part of the story, we'll discuss Larry Bader and some of the similarities these two men shared. 
Then we'll Tarantino this bitch and talk about the event that led to the downfall of both men's lives. How does that grab you? That sounds very cool. All right. So not a lot is known about Fritz's early life. He often enthralled his friends with stories of his childhood while living in a Boston orphanage. He said that he had picked up the nickname of Fritz while at the orphanage because all the orphans were given the name of John Johnson. He was one of 22 orphans at the orphanage. He joined the Navy at 17 and served 13 years there during World War II and the Korean War. While serving, he injured his back and was discharged in 1957. Even though he was a newscaster, he claimed that he hated the news and hated being a newscaster. The only redeeming quality of his job was a program he did called Good News of the Day, where he reported on the more positive aspects of life. I like it. The program was what would be considered a news fluff piece now. He was considered an oddball, but was a likable oddball. And everyone literally loved this guy. He was known for throwing wild champagne parties and dating the prettiest women in town. His apartment had no furniture, just dozens of old pillows. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of strange, right? How was he, get- yeah, he getting all these ladies? I don't know. I guess they just dug that. Oh, maybe this might answer your question. He was known for wearing a leather beret, which is pimp, and the hearse <laughs> that he would drive around, he purchased from a Kansas undertaker for $150 and had it outfitted with a wrought iron table, coffee bar, and incense-burning Buddha. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty pimp. <laughs> it's super pimp. Like his apartment, there were old pillows instead of seats. That hearse kind of gives off sexler vibes, huh? Very much, yeah. It's, um, it's like, come for coffee, stay for... The come. Something else. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> for Operation Climax, or what, what did you call it? <laughs> Midnight Climax. <laughs> yeah. Operation Midnight Climax. <laughs> <laughs> He also had some weird habits. I'll mention a few of his weird traits, and you can tell me how weird you think they are. Prior to being a radio DJ and TV newscaster, he worked at a bar. He would put all of his tips in a milk jug, and when he would deposit it at the bank, he would write one quart money on the deposit slip. I'm sure the bankers that had to count the money loved him. <laughs> not super strange, but still kind of unusual, right? Yeah, yeah, not normal for sure. That's definitely not normal. No, no, not normal. He also wouldn't date his checks. Instead of the date, he would just write spring or summer. I think that goes along with not having furniture. He didn't have a calendar. (laughs) (laughs) He had no sense of time. (laughs) Yeah. Aside from sitting on flagpoles for a month and being a champion archer, he also kept tropical fish. His favorite were the Siamese fighting fish, who would fight until one of them devoured the other. Oh. So it's kind of interesting, as you would say, right? But not totally insane. Yeah. I mean, I guess like I guess I'm thinking about like if I saw that on I, I mean, not that I'm <laughs> I've never been on any of those apps, but if I saw it on like a Tinder profile, <laughs> I'd be like, is this a deal breaker? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> would you swipe right or left, Isala? I don't know which one is the <laughs> the right way to do it. I don't know. I really haven't been on those. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, same. One thing, though, is that Fritz had a big heart. Aside from the the 30-day stint he did on a flagpole, he also sat on a flagpole for 15 days to raise money for polio. His friends would send him martinis twice a day in milk bottles. What? Yeah. He never stopped partying like your uh, friends in the Bahamas. Yeah. 
<laughs> but twice a day, that's so weird. Like it's like a morning and afternoon or like, all right, five and eight p.m. or something. Anyway, those are friends to have. You know, if you're staying on a flagpole for 15 days, what else are you going to do, Isela? Well, you're obviously going to pee yourself because that's a diuretic. <laughs> that is true. After pulling off that stunt, he came down the flagpole with a long beard. He could barely walk from the atrophy, but jumped into a convertible with a bunch of beautiful girls to participate in a grand parade. In spite of all the flamboyance, his friends said he never came off as a show-off or a braggart. In 1961, he ended his bachelor ways and married a 20-year-old model named Nancy Zimmer and adopted her daughter from a previous marriage. Aww. A few years later, they had a son together. Cute. So he seems like a super chill guy, right? He's got some weird likes and hobbies, but he's not sharing a bed with his dead wife's corpse or making dolls out of dead children or anything that would be an immediate red flag like that, right? Yeah, he doesn't sound like you got to run away <laughs> just yet, but you got to keep an eye on this person still. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He seems like he would be pretty charming despite some of his, his weirdness. If he had started speaking randomly to me at a bar... I don't think that I would be looking for an immediate excuse to get the fuck away from him. Right. If he's half as charming as El Paso's favorite former weather forecaster, Chuck DeBroder, I would probably buy him a beer. What about you? <laughs> what what kind of vibes do you get? No, for sure. If he struck up a conversation at a bar, I would be very intrigued on hearing his stories, what made him want to buy a hearse to begin with, <laughs> like, et cetera, et cetera. So I think he'd be full of cool stories. Like, this is a person you would not you know, kind of like kick away from the stool or something like that, from your bar stool. But anything more than that, like, hey, can I get your number? Like, uh, no, you can't. I, <laughs> I don't know. I hear he was quite a ladies man and he always had ladies around him. So maybe he was extra charming with the ladies. He sounds very Hugh Hefner-y, if that's a word. <laughs> he took up archery to strengthen his back muscles and help heal the back injury that he received while in the Navy. Five weeks after taking up the sport, is when he won the Nebraska State Championship. Oh. So this got him a reputation for being an archer extraordinaire. And a Nebraska archery firm sent Fritz to Chicago to participate in a sports show at Chicago's McCormick Place to show off some of their archery equipment. So they almost had like, okay, these are the regionals in Nebraska. And now we're gonna, you're going to fly to Chicago and be in like a national championship or no? I'm not sure how that worked. That's so crazy. But five weeks, I mean, either he picks up things really quickly or, yeah, he was just like gifted with this. Wow. Yeah. So he's at the sports show at Chicago McCormick Place and Fritz's life would change forever at this show. Ooh. So let's take a quick commercial break. And when we return, we'll talk about Lawrence Bader and the downfall of both their lives. Hi, this is Dakota, host of ContraZoom Pod, where we go back and forth about film. I am obsessed with movies. I could talk about them all day. If you're like me, then you'll love my podcast. Every week we take a new topic, whether it's ranking a director's filmography, covering major film festivals, or getting way into Oscar season. While every week is different, we do have some recurring topics, like our Make Remake series looking at an original film and its remake, or our very popular A History Of program, taking an in-depth look, looking at some of the biggest companies involved in film, including Criterion, A24, and Neon. 
It isn't all super serious topics, though, as we always need to play catch-up with all the hottest Marvel Cinematic Universe news and general pop culture goings-on. There's something for every kind of movie lover, whether you want reviews, interviews, or in-depth conversations. ContraZoomPod is found on all podcatcher apps, and visit ContraZoomPod.com for even more information. If you like all things spooky, then check out A Spooky Tales, hosted by us, Christina, and MJ, where we talk about all things spooky, paranormal stories, haunted places, myths, and legends. Listen to guests tell us their scary stories. And I hear them call me by, by my name. So I run into the kitchen to check, and there's nobody there. And I start to, like, hear... Like my closet door start to open. Oh hell no! Like, oh, my God. Inside. oh hell no! All of a sudden, for no reason, I woke up in the middle of the night. Like my eyes just snapped open, and it's that strange feeling that you have when something wakes you up. You and you don't know what has woken you up until you either see what it was or you hear whatever it was. There are new episodes every Friday. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at SpookyTales.com. And we're back. Did you win any archery championships during our break? I've seen people do archery and it looks really hard. Like even that crank back, I don't know if you see, it's heavy as hell. I'm very curious, but no, I don't think I could start that. That would be, I mean, I don't want to get these big guns going. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, it seems really difficult, actually. I was going to ask you that if you've ever shot a bow and arrow. Mm -mm, I haven't, but I've seen some people that are, very strong. And I was surprised at like how challenging it was for, for him. Yeah, I, I hear that. I'm a huge fan of Green Arrow. Arrow is probably my favorite TV show of all time. Right. And when I got into that show, I really wanted to learn how to shoot a bow and arrow. But one, my backyard is only like 10 feet long. <laughs> and two, you, like you were saying, you have to be really strong. Yeah. I lack the upper body strength to string a bow. I would probably be all cheap like Penelope suitors in the Odyssey and would need to have my <laughs> opponent string the bow for me so that they can beat me fairly. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I think you could start out with something in your backyard. Yeah, maybe with a, with a bow made out of a, a stick and a rubber band or something. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your thoughts on Fritz? Uh, okay, so Fritz sounds like he is definitely... Trying to be eccentric, but he sounds like he's got a good heart in the right place. So, you know, okay, those things are still acceptable. He's, you know, uh, did 13 years. That's wonderful. He didn't go AWOL or anything. That's very admirable in itself. And he had these news fluff pieces of just like happy-go-lucky things, which I get. Like, I like to do those things too. So different, but you know, is he like a complete weirdo? I wouldn't say that, but interesting. I would still talk to the dude. Yeah. Yeah. And I think eccentric says it all. He was very eccentric. Yeah. Before our break, we talked about Fritz being at a sports show at Chicago's McCormick Place, showing off a archery company's equipment, looking all sexy with his bow and arrow. 
<laughs> yes, yes. He was chatting up fans while posing with the equipment, and his life was about to change. But before we can say why, we have to briefly talk about Larry Bader, and it will be brief because there's not much to this guy. Larry Bader lived in Akron, Ohio, which is the same place that Ripper Owens is from. And like I mentioned earlier, he was married to his wife Mary Lou and had three children together. Mary Lou was four months pregnant with child number four. Larry was considered to be an outdoorsman and enjoyed fishing. He was an appliance salesman, but it seems like he wasn't too successful in his career. For one, he hadn't paid any income tax for five years. Getting stuck with bad checks was something that was kind of common in his business, and he would often have to go sort that out. They didn't give too many details about what that meant, but the vibe that I got is that if a check he deposited from a sale bounced at the bank, he had to track the customer down to get paid or make other payment arrangements. Oh, it also didn't sound like he tried to strong arm people if they owed him money. He didn't pull the old "you got a really nice house here." It would be a shame if something were to happen to it. Right. Or uh, you pay me the money you owe me, or I'll break your fucking legs. Right. Everything I could find on him was that he was generally well liked and was thought of as a nice guy. Probably why he wasn't doing too good in sales. Despite the problem he had with the checks and paying the IRS on the surface, it appeared like he was doing okay for himself and his family. He lived in in a nice neighborhood in the West Hills region. Had a seventeen thousand dollar mortgage, made ten thousand a year from his salary, and had forty thousand dollars in life insurance. Didn't seem too weird, right? Aside from not paying the IRS for five years. Yeah. Wow. Yes, for sure. That's a little concerning. <laughs> <laughs> Similarities to Fritz. Larry was also an archer. This was a thing during the fifties and sixties, I guess. And he had won a tri-state archery contest when he would go hunting. He would wear genuine buckskin. And my research, I didn't see any pictures of this. Not not that I would have wanted to, but、um, <laughs> it totally gave off Ted Nugent in a loincloth vibes.、Mm-hmm. From what I could find, Fritz dressed like a normal person while archering. Larry dropped out of high school, but like Fritz, also joined the Navy. However, Larry was only in the Navy for 18 months, and when he returned from his service, had completed high school. He tried going to Akron University for a semester, but wasn't really cut out for it, and began working at the campus restaurant. And that's about as much as I could find about Larry and his younger years. On May fifteenth, nineteen fifty-seven, Larry went to go deal with some bad checks, pay some bills, including his life insurance. And at about four thirty p.m. that day, he decided to do some fishing. A storm was forecasted that evening, and despite being warned by the person at the boat rental place. And the coast guard of the coming storm, he flashed his wad of about four hundred dollars before paying the fifteen dollar deposit to rent the boat, and he promised that he would be back before dark. The storm hit the lake three hours later, and the following morning, the boat Larry had rented was found on the rocks of Perkins Beach. Oh, oh no! The coast guard said that the lake was so rough, no man could have survived. The authorities presumed them dead. But searched for him or his body for about two months before giving up. Three years later, Larry was declared legally dead. A couple of odd things about the boat: the boat hadn't capsized, so everything Larry took with him was in the boat. This included his fishing gear, the oar, an empty gas tank, and two life preservers. The only thing missing were Larry and his briefcase. The police suspect that he might have been hijacked for that roll of money that he was flashing around. 
The gas line on his boat was also found to be disconnected. This was considered strange because according to the man that rented out the boat, this wasn't something that happened or could happen accidentally. It was never said that someone had to have disconnected it, but that was kind of what they were implying. Mm -hmm. Up until this point, what are your thoughts, both about the boating incident and anything I've shared thus far? He sounds like he would be kind of like a normal go-to-work type of guy and family man, I guess, right? He has three kids and one on the way. It doesn't sound like he would be the type that would just like go missing, pull, you know, weird parties, like all night party type of things. I don't know. Try to escape. That's that's the part that's weird. But the boating incident is very strange. How is it that it was so rough and yet everything was still inside the boat except for the briefcase in him? That part is definitely very strange. And they didn't have... Uh, what was this in 57? They didn't have CCTV, I guess, back then to see if they even like made it out on the lake. Probably not. Okay. But um, the part that seemed weird to me is that the boat didn't capsize, mm-hmm. but him and the, and the briefcase were missing. Right. He also sounds like he's almost like the complete opposite of, um, of Fritz, right? And they have a few things that they share in common, but Larry seems like he's more- Boring. I was going to say he seems like he's more reserved and Fritz seems- very flamboyant, very outgoing. Yeah, I would agree with that. So let's Tarantino this bitch and tie everything together. Yes. It's February 2nd, 1964, seven years after the boating incident where Larry disappeared. Fritz is in Chicago showing off the archery equipment when a man from Akron, Ohio sees Fritz and thinks that he recognizes him. Neither source identified who this man was, but this person calls up a young lady named Susan Pika. She takes one look at him and recognizes him too. She walks up to Fritz and asks if he's her uncle, Larry Bader, who had disappeared seven years ago. <gasps> Fritz laughs it off and assures Susan that he's not Larry Bader. Not convinced, Susan calls up both of Larry's brothers, John and Dick. They both fly down from Akron to Chicago to take a look with their own eyes. Again, Fritz insists that he's not Larry, but it sounded like he took the whole misunderstanding well and even wanted to help with the investigation. Hmm. The brothers asked Fritz if he would be willing to go to the police station to have his fingerprints checked against those of Larry's. Hmm. Wow. Fritz was happy to help and went with the brothers willingly to the police station. He wanted to help and thought that this would surely clear up any misunderstandings. They were going to compare Fritz's fingerprints with those of Larry's from when he was in the Navy. The next day, Fritz received a phone call while at the Omaha TV station from the Chicago Police Department. Do you want to take a guess at what they told him? It's very Moripovich. You are the father. <laughs> <laughs> Did they say that there was a match? Lieutenant Emil Geese told Fritz, quote, The prints I took off your fingers and the fingerprints of the missing Larry Bader are identical. What? Either you are he or this is something from outer space or beyond. Fritz said that prior to that moment, he had no doubt that he was not Larry. But when the police officer told him that, he felt like someone had hit him in the face. So I had said at the beginning that Larry and Fritz's lives were going to fall apart, and I was not exaggerating. The lives of those in Larry and Fritz's lives were about to fall apart as well. And from now on, I'll just refer to him as Larry. Mm-hmm. Remember his widow, Mary Lou? Yes. So she had been receiving $254 a month from Social Security since at least 1960, when Larry was declared legally dead. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, she had received close to $40,000 from the insurance company. 
now that Larry was back, they both wanted their money back. Now, just for reference, $254.1960 is equivalent to $2,635 today. And $40,000 is almost half a million dollars today. $415,000 to be exact. Wow. Okay. I can see why they were ready to claim that for sure, at least. Yeah. And with the 1960 death declaration being reversed, his marriage to Mary Lou would also be reinstated and his marriage to Nancy Zimmer would now become null and void. Nancy stated that she would stick with Larry no matter what, but things were more complicated with Mary Lou. She said that she had already mourned Larry's death, accepted it, and adjusted. She had moved on. She had been dating since 1957 and had recently accepted a marriage proposal. As a Catholic, a divorce from Larry would be out of the question. Catholicism has come a long way since those days, am I right? Oh, for (laughs) sure. For sure. Oh, wow. She was like, well, I want to try with someone new. (laughs) (laughs) She had been dating since 1957, so I'm sure she had been trying (laughs) since at least then. (laughs) I don't blame her. I Yeah, I would be so over that person. I'm like, boy, I haven't seen you in years. Get out of here. Yeah, I wouldn't blame her either. I would have like no negative feelings or thoughts about that. Yeah. Larry also now faced the bigamy and fraud charges, but the whole case revolved on one question. Was his disappearance as Larry and reappearance as Fritz the result of amnesia? Or was it a clever seven-year hoax from someone who wanted to spice up their life a little? All indications seem to point to Larry having no recollection of his life in Akron. Still, he recognized his legal and moral obligations to his Akron family and started sending part of his paycheck to Mary Lou. Larry's lawyers hired a team of psychologists and neurologists to examine Larry and concluded that they could find no indication that Larry had any recollection of his life as Larry Bader, nor could they find any neurotic or psychotic tendencies to explain Larry's loss of memory. Pretty crazy, huh? It is pretty crazy, but it does make sense that he was so willing to go to the police station and like, look, let me prove it to you. Take my prints. And then he was like, what? What do you mean? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. um, I don't know. I I think that he did believe that he was not Larry because I think that had he known that like the jig was up or or whatever, I think he would have just taken off running or something. Right. Especially like seeing his brothers, but it seemed like you know, he was like laughing it off and just being a good sport about it. Yeah, yeah. He was more than willing to try to help resolve this weird mystery. And it just kind of, you know, unraveled in his face. Yeah, for sure. Now, I did find a bit of a discrepancy here because Life magazine said that there was nothing that could explain his memory loss. The dispatch did state that Larry's lawyer said that Larry had an operation to remove a tumor in his head that might have affected his memory. Oh. I think that it's an important detail. So I did want to mention it, especially since that tumor cost him his eye in 1964 and he had to wear an eye patch as a result. (gasps) You will be happy to hear, however, that the eye patch did not affect his archery. In fact, the eye patch added to Larry's flamboyance, according to author J. Robert Nash in his book, Among the Missing, An Anecdotal History of Missing Persons from 1800 to the Present. So hearing that he had a, a, a brain tumor, does that change the way that you view him? I think it makes sense that he might have some memory issues after a surgery like that, because I've heard of things like that. I mean, it, it only makes sense, but I guess we'll 
we'll never know whether it was really like an elaborate hoax. But it just all his behavior points towards, no, he really did not think he was the one. Why would he willingly go down and provide fingerprints? I agree 100%. You know me? I like to be the devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. So as for the theory supporting that Larry was pulling an elaborate hoax, Larry had a lot of money problems in Akron. He was $2,400 in debt. He couldn't afford the interest on his mortgage payment. And even the milkman was threatening to stop deliveries. So the $2,400 in debt is equivalent to a little over $26,000 in today's money that he owed. Sheesh. He hadn't paid income tax for five years. And to add to all that stress, child number four was on the way. Mm -hmm. Larry's friends and neighbors in Akron also stated that Larry didn't quite fit in with the people there who were very conservative and conformist. Larry was more in line with his friends in Omaha who were bartenders, models, news and public relations personalities, people seen at the time as being hip and nonconformist. His friends in Akron said that if he tried that flagpole stunt or rode around in a hearse in Akron, no one would even talk to him. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Why not? This is where you bring out, the, this is like where you're waving your freak flag high. Let's see who's going to come to the calling, you know? <laughs> You know, as a place as, um, I guess, as conservative and, uh, and and conformist as Akron, or at least is the way they described it, I mean, he would surely stick out and, and he seems like he would be like the fun one, you know, <laughs> front person to hang out with. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, he would definitely be the talk of the town. <laughs> Psychiatrists of his time stated that even though it was uncommon for an amnesia victim to totally forget their past and even rare for them to fabricate a detailed background story like Larry did to fill the void. It is not unheard of and it is possible. Dr. Oscar Diethelm, a psychiatrist and former head of New York's Payne Whitney Clinic, stated that his invention and belief in the background Larry constructed as Fritz could be a mixture of a hysterical reaction and unconscious wish fulfillment. Oh. Nash wrote that the malignant tumor that cost him his eye eventually resurfaced and Larry died on September 16th 1966. Oh. He was 39 years old. <gasps> That's young. He was really young. His death meant that the question of whether he was an amnesiac or a con man would never be answered. Mm. So you've got all the facts. What do you think? I think I still stand behind, you know, that the tumor must have caused memory issues. And that would make sense why he was so willing to be like, now, nah, bro, I'll show you this is not the person or I'm not the person that you think I am. Let's go down and I'll help you. And, you know, Sasa comes, <laughs> comes to fruition. He's like, whoa, wait, joke's on me. <laughs> so you think that maybe he was an amnesiac? I mean, I guess to a degree, yes. There really is not a right or wrong answer. Like, I'm not going to pull another uh, M. Night Shyamalan on you. There's no other twists. Yeah, I would. I would think so just because like I said he was so willing but I, I think it is his own brain that probably was like hey we already tried it this like boring way let's not settle down and have you know a bunch of babies right away and was like let me just live it up and I think that that might have just been unconscious you know yeah I personally don't think that he was an amnesiac because of the detail that he went to pay his life insurance prior to going fishing um, he also had that wad of cash with him. So if he really was in so much debt, I think that he would have paid some more bills. At least pay off the damn milkman, for God's sake. Larry, you had three kids and a fourth child is on the way. Children drink a ton of milk. And then 
you already had three kids and a fourth one. Like we get it. Your, your BP works. Like <laughs> it's time to put it away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's wrap it up if you know what I'm saying. And pay off the milkman. The kids need their milk. Yeah, for sure. Also, I think that knowing that the storm was expected and renting the boat despite all the warnings gave him a good opportunity to fake his death. I think that he obviously cared about his wife and wanted her and her family to be taken care of, which is why he made sure the life insurance was paid. But maybe the tumor that he had was causing him not to think clearly and caused him to make impulsive decisions. Maybe that might have contributed to him fabricating this whole of the persona for himself and even believing the stories that he created. Hmm. Maybe he knew the mess he created and thought that his family would be better off without him, or they needed the cash more than they needed him. Uh, maybe he was just way over his head with the stress and just wanted a fresh new start, an opportunity to reinvent himself, refresh the brand, as the kids would say. Yeah, sure. Actually, I don't know if the kids would say that. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sadly, he died two years after everything unraveled. So the only person that really knew the truth is no longer alive to share it. And even if he was, how much of what he said would be believable? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, he pretty much managed to have a whole life that he kept secret for seven years. Yeah, that's, I, I, yeah, I think that's why I don't think that he, he planned it. I mean, it, it can look like he planned it, but like life insurance is not that expensive compared to like a mortgage. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I could see that. I mean, who knows? It, that is also very feasible. I mean, I could see how any man in that position gets that weird. It was that midlife crisis you know, or quarter life crisis, hair up their ass, and they want a completely different life, you know? So that's very feasible too. Yeah. Again, sadly, there's not an answer, but I just thought it was super interesting. Oh yeah. It's super interesting. He's like, what do you mean? (laughs) What do you mean I'm him? (laughs) Yeah. That's really cool. Thank you, Eric, for suggesting this one. Very cool. Yes. Thank you so much, Eric. And special shout outs to our super homie, super friends, Sophia, Natasha, Eric, and Angie. If you want to be super cool like them and help support the show, get the episodes a week early and ad-free and get your name shouted out on the show and get some stickers from us a few times a year. We're actually working on our next sticker now. Check us out at patreon.com slash technically a conversation or check the show notes. Yeah, guys. Best of all, it's only $2 a month, baby. You can't even buy cigarettes or an eye patch for that. <laughs> Come on. That's right. Two dollars is nothing. We'd love to have you. Indeed. On that high note, we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, tell a friend, and subscribe wherever fine yeah. podcasts are sold. Yay, yay. Follow us on the socials at greetings TAC. Email us at greetings TAC at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 915 915- 317-6669. If you have a story of when you lost your memory and led a double life to share with us. Or just any fun story. Yeah, tell us your, your favorite Taylor Swift conspiracy theories. <gasps> or your favorite Taylor Swift song. Or Ariana Grande, we mentioned her too. I still say Call Me Maybe is the best. Uh, no, Party in the USA is the best Taylor Swift song. Yeah, one day you'll get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Call me maybe is probably close second. Or Carly Jepsen. That's wonderful for her. 